Hey, thank you for taking time to watch this video message. Our prayer for you is that God would use this message in a profound way to impact your life. If you're somebody that's had your life impacted by the ministry here at Crosspoint, we would love for you to share your story with us. Simply send us an email at mystory@crosspointcity.com and let us know about what God has done in your heart. And lastly, if you need more information about the ministry here at Crosspoint, simply go to crosspointcity.com and you can find everything listed there. We hope you enjoy this message. I love it, man. Hey, we're starting a brand new series today called Dumb Things Smart Christians Believe. And uh, people often ask me, especially when we do series like this, how in the world we come up with the ideas we come up with in order to kind of teach our church. And, and I always tell them our process is really simple. We have a teaching team comprised of a handful of our staff members from the church. And twice a year we get in a room together and we have brainstorm sessions. And based on those brainstorm sessions, we decide, uh, depending on God's leading, what we should teach. Well, I have to tell you, in a recent brainstorm session, the idea for this series got thrown under the table and immediately everyone on the team was saying the same thing. We have to teach That series, and here's why. As pastors and directors, we get to meet with a lot of people who are facing different life issues or or big, important decisions. And what we found is this. Oftentimes, we'll be behind closed doors with some really smart, well-meaning people whose thinking and logic has been flawed due to the fact that, that they've allowed themselves to buy into and to believe certain spiritual myths or false beliefs. Maybe it was something they saw on Facebook, cute little saying, Um, they read it on a Christian t-shirt or bumper sticker. Sometimes it's even something they read in a Christian book or they heard in a sermon at some point. But nonetheless, they're holding firm to, to spiritual myths, urban legends, and again, these false beliefs. And I'll give you a couple of examples of what I mean, all right? I've heard this one plenty of times. And I actually talked about it not too long ago in a message, but, but here it is. I've heard people say this. Uh, James, I know that God will never give me more than I can handle. Life's tough right now, going through a lot, but I know, I know, I know God will never give me more than I can handle. Look, can I just tell you, it's not biblical. That's not taught anywhere in the pages of this book. In fact, and, and some of you know this from experience, oftentimes God will allow us to face more than we can handle in order to increase our faith in him and our dependency upon him. I mean, if we could handle all that life threw at us on our own, why in the world would we need God? Well, the answer is we wouldn't, would we? What the Bible actually teaches is, is this uh, verse, it's been twisted to 1 Corinthians ten thirteen that God will never allow us to, to face a temptation that's greater than we can bear. So in other words, no temptation or sin is going to come your way that God won't provide a way of escape from. He'll always give you power through his Holy Spirit to say no and to overcome it. I'll give you another one. I've heard this one a lot. Uh, James, I really believe that God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard somebody say that? Maybe you've said that yourself. God God helps those who help themselves. James, I, I really believe if I try harder, if I do more, if I do better, that God will help me and that God will bless me. Well, again, the problem is this. That's not found anywhere in the pages of this book. The Bible doesn't teach that. And in fact, that false belief contradicts the very heart of the gospel message. And if you're new to church, this Jesus thing, all I mean when I say gospel is the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done. But that news says this. Not that God helps those who help themselves, but that God helps those who can't help themselves. 
that our God is a God who helps the helpless. He's a God who offers hope to the hopeless. And it's only when you and I stop trying to to, to be self-righteous and self-reliant and admit our inability to help ourselves and our need for God that, that God meets us where we are and he actually helps us. Now look, I could go down this road all day long. We'll share other uh, spiritual myths along the way. But I want to show you the danger, if I can, of believing in the kind of spiritual myths and false beliefs that I just mentioned. Here it is. If you're taking notes, write this down. Good intentions plus bad assumptions equals dumb decisions. Good intentions plus bad assumptions equals dumb decisions. Look at me. You can have all the right intentions in the world. You can truly want to do the right thing. Uh, You can have a desire to exercise wisdom in different areas of your life. But if you're making life decisions based on bad assumptions or faulty information, you will, at the end of the day, end up making a dumb decision. You're going to hold God to promises he never made. You're going to expect things that you shouldn't expect. You could potentially do things that that are going to derail or shipwreck your life. And as a result, you're going to experience heartache and disillusionment. And the goal of this series is simple. We want to help prevent you from going down that road. Uh, If you have a Bible or a YouVersion app ready to go on a device, uh, go with me for a moment, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, we're going to read just a couple of verses from this chapter together that are going to be foundational for this entire series. Uh, Here it is. The Apostle Paul's writing. He says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, here's what we just read, all right? Paul says that this book I'm holding in my hands was breathed out by God. Like, these are his very words on the pages of this book, spoken and recorded by human authors. And he says that, that the words of God, they're profitable for some things, they're useful for some things. First, for teaching. So when we read this book or we hear it taught, uh, it lets us know more about who God is, more about what he's done, more about who we are and and what God wants to do in us and for us. Uh, Also, the Bible, it reproves us, or some of your translations might say it rebukes us. Have you ever read this book and just felt like God kind of smacked you, pow, like woke you up? This book has a way of doing that. That's what reprove means. It, It wakes us up to the sin in our lives and it has a way of showing us the error of our ways. But not only that, look, it also corrects us. So this book isn't meant or given to just beat us down and to leave us helpless. The book is meant to rebuke us, to show us our errors and our sin, and then to correct us, to restore us, and to point us in the direction we should go. And then lastly, this book trains us in righteousness. The idea here is one of ongoing training, that the more you read this book, understand it, and apply it, the more it will shape you into becoming the righteous man or woman that God desires you to be. Now, here's why the Bible does all this for us. You ready? So that the man of God, or for all the ladies in the house today, woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Look, that's why it's so important for you to know this book. That's why it's so important for you to know those spiritual myths and false beliefs that contradict it. Look, without knowing the scriptures and without knowing those false beliefs that stand against it, you could very well miss out on being that complete man or woman of God who is equipped for those good works God wants to use you for. And I don't want to see that happen in your life. So over the course of this series, we're going to talk about what the Bible says and what's true when it comes to those things that that maybe we've allowed ourselves to unknowingly believe. So with that in mind, let me give you a dumb thing number one. You ready? If you take a notes, write this down. Let your conscience be your guide. 
Dumb thing number one that, that at times really smart Christians believe. Let your conscience be your guide. Uh, just so you know, this advice was made famous by our friend Jiminy Cricket in the movie Pinocchio. And even though we all love Jiminy Cricket and Pinocchio's our boy, right, and he's a quit lying, I just want you to know that advice, again, nowhere to be found in the Bible. As we're going to see today, the Bible actually tells Jiminy Cricket to stick it. And that letting your conscience be your guide is always a bad idea. If you are uh, from a younger generation, and that's weird to you. Ah, James, I don't know if I've ever heard somebody say that. There's another way that, that this advice is often phrased today, and I'll show you. Maybe you've heard this. Always follow your heart. You ever seen that? It means the same thing. Let your conscience be your guide or always follow your heart. It's the same thing. I see this one all the time on Facebook. People say stuff like this. Uh, I'm done living for other people. Done trying to make other people happy. From now on, I'm going to follow my heart. I'm going to do what I believe is best, what I think is right. And I'm going to focus on me and, and on my happiness. Look, if you're taking notes, I want you to write both of these statements down right now. And then beside them, I want you to write one word. Ready? Write the word dumb. Dumb. Next to both of them. And we're going to talk for the next few minutes about why these are dumb things to believe, okay? Here's the first reason. Why is it dumb to let your conscience be your guide or to follow your heart? Reason one, your heart is meant to be guarded, not followed. Your heart is meant to be guarded, not followed. Let me show you what Proverbs 4.23 tells us. Above all else, what's the word? Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Uh, this verse was recorded by the wisest man that's ever lived. His name was Solomon. And in it, he's actually recalling advice that his father, the great King David, offered to him. And I'll tell you about the significance, okay? In the Jewish culture, the people believed that the heart was the source or the center of a person's entire being. That from the heart came the emotions, the feelings, the ability to think, to apply logic, to apply reason. Uh, the heart gave a person the ability to make choices in life. And so what Solomon is recalling here is this, that the most important thing his dad said he could do in his entire life, above everything else, was to guard those things. Guard your feelings. Guard your emotions. Guard your thought processes. Guard your choices. And why? Well, because from our hearts come all of life. That's what that means, that, that everything you do outwardly is a result of who you are inwardly. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The condition of your heart ultimately determines the direction of your life. The condition of your heart ultimately determines the direction of your life. And look, King David, he would have known what he was talking about here. The guy who offered this advice, remember, in spite of being a man after God's own heart, he was also an adulterer and a murderer. David slept with a beautiful woman he saw bathing on her roof one day, got her pregnant, and then had her husband killed in hopes to cover the whole thing up. And can I tell you, those choices absolutely devastated his life. I want you to know that if you decide to follow your heart, your heart can and will lead you to do some very dangerous, destructive, and dumb things. And can I tell you why? Simple. It's because your heart wants to sin. According to the Bible, every person in this room has a sin nature. There's this part of us that, that wants to draw us away from God and what he desires and toward the very sin that wants to destroy us. And the question you've got to answer for yourself is this. Are you guarding your heart? Like, are you protecting uh, your mind, your emotions, your feelings, your choices against the influences in your life that are trying to drag you away from God and what he desires? 
Or are you that person that just kind of opens yourself up to whatever, whenever, and whomever? And this is such an important question, and, and I'll use an illustration to kind of tell you why, okay? You guys know the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer, right? If you don't, welcome to Temperature 101 class. All right, let me brief you, okay? Thermometer measures temperature. A thermostat uh, adjusts or sets the temperature, controls it, okay? Here's the mistake people often make when it comes to their heart or their conscience. They view those things as thermometers, as a means by which they can judge the moral climate of a particular decision or a particular situation, and they'll conclude based on how they feel in a given moment if something is right or wrong, right? Insert conscience into said moment, said situation, and if it doesn't feel wrong, it must be right. So for example, uh, it doesn't feel wrong to sleep with this person that I'm madly in love with, uh, even though we're not married. It doesn't feel wrong not to pay my taxes uh, because the government, I, I think, is corrupt and they're going to waste my tax dollars. It doesn't feel wrong to lie in order to make more business sales, right? At least I'm tithing off the money I'm making. It doesn't feel wrong when that guy cuts me off in traffic to uh, yell obscenities and to, to throw the bird up, right? It doesn't feel wrong, so it, it must be okay. Can I just tell you that's not how our conscience or our, our hearts are designed to work? Your conscience, your heart, is never meant to be a thermometer. Instead, it's a thermostat. You see, you are the one who ultimately chooses for you what values or morals to adhere to. You're ultimately the one that decides for yourself what is comfortable and what is right, and then your decisions flow out of that. You see, I want you to understand, if you're the person that, that says, I'm, we're okay sleeping together, we love each other, I'm okay lying, I'm okay cutting people off or flipping people off or chewing people out or not paying my taxes, can I tell you why you feel okay doing those things? It's because you have adjusted your conscience in order to make those things feel comfortable and right for you. Does that make sense? This, again, church, is why it's so important to guard your hearts. You see, if you fail to guard your emotions, your thought processes, your choices uh, against those influences that are trying to pull you away from God and towards sin that wants to destroy you, it won't be long before you're making dumb decisions while believing you're doing the smart thing. Look at me. Your heart is meant to be guarded, not followed. Guard it. Guard it. The second reason why letting your conscience be your God or following your heart is a, a dumb thing to believe is this. Because your heart loves to lie to you. Your heart loves to lie to you. Have you ever lied to yourself in order to justify doing something that you really wanted to do in spite of the fact that you knew you shouldn't be doing it? You ever done that? Look, we're just going to open the floor up right now. Confession time. Not, not really. Not really. I'm just kidding. Just relax, okay? Look, I, I bet if we were all honest, we could think of a time when we did it, right? I remember as a teenage boy, I used to do this all the time when it came to my dating relationships. All the time. Some of you get what I'm talking about, right? Which is why as a dad of two young girls, I already have a plan on how I'm going to deal with every teenage boy that shows up at my house today. My daughter, I know who I was as a teenage boy. And I need to make sure no teenage guy that wants to take my girl off is lying to himself about what's about to happen. Now look, in all seriousness, can I tell you why we lie like this? It's really simple. Look at Jeremiah 17, 9 with me. Look, the heart is, what's the word? Say it. Say, come on, say it like you can read it. The heart is what? It's deceitful above all things, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? According to this verse, this is why we lie. Because our hearts deceive us. Our hearts are sick due to sin. This church is why we all need Jesus. Only Jesus can take our dead, deceitful hearts and make them alive and well again. 
But because you and I have dead, deceitful, desperately sick hearts, we all have this uncanny ability to lie to ourselves at times about doing things that that we say are right and best, even though they're not right and best. And can we be honest? All of us at times love to listen to those lies, don't we? And we got to be careful because if we're not, those lies can absolutely devastate our lives. Now, look, I want to say to you, this is why Christian community is so important. This is why we push you all the time uh, to get in a group here at Crosspoint. All of us need people in our lives who can tell us what's true when we're busy lying to ourselves. I have a friend in my life, one of my best friends, who's also a pastor in ministry, who, uh, who serves this role for me. We get together once a month um, for breakfast, lunch, coffee, and we just talk about marriage, about ministry. We talk about being dads. We talk about our sin. And not only sin that we've committed, but sin that we're thinking about committing. I once heard a pastor say that confession is most powerful when you confess the sin you're thinking about doing. That's good, isn't it? Look, I think oftentimes we turn Christian accountability into nothing more than a history report on our sin. We'll get together with that friend. Here's all I did this past month. And our friend will say to us, well, that's too bad. Don't do that again. I'll be praying for you. Love God, hate sin. Try harder. That's not Christian accountability. Christian accountability is you parking yourself across the table from that friend and having the guts to say, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm thinking about doing so that in turn your friend can help you to see what's true in spite of the lies you might be feeding yourself. We all need it. As the Russian proverb says, the eye cannot see the eye. You and I all need people in our lives who can see our blind spots and who can help us to see those areas of life that we either refuse uh, to see or, or simply can't see. Your heart loves to lie to you. you you got to know when it's lying and, and when it's actually telling the truth. The third reason that letting your conscience be your guide or following your heart is dumb as this. Because your heart or your conscience measures the wrong standards. It measures the wrong standards. And, and here's what I mean. Your heart or your conscience doesn't tell you when you're violating God's standards. It only tells you when you're violating your own standards. Let me just say that again, all right? Your heart or your conscience doesn't tell you when you're violating God's standards. It only tells you when you're violating your own standards. And we're going to read a passage from 1 Corinthians 4 and, and dig into that a little deeper. Look at this. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Arguably the greatest Christian who's ever lived on planet Earth, right? And he's writing to the Corinthian church about his leadership and about why they can trust him. And, and look at what he says. Now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. Now look at this. He says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. So please don't miss it. Arguably the greatest Christian who's ever lived says this about himself. I don't trust my conscience. I don't trust it. Even when my conscience is clear, it doesn't mean I'm right. It doesn't mean that I'm innocent. And here's what we have to take from that. Look, you can feel comfortable or at peace with a a dumb, sinful decision all day long, and it doesn't make it right. You understand that, right? Just because your conscience is clear when it comes to a decision you're making in life, it doesn't mean that you're innocent. And I'll give you a couple of examples of how I've seen this play out over the years, okay? Um, Man, not too long ago... I was speaking to a guy who made a decision to end his marriage. And he didn't end his marriage for any biblical reason, right? It's a couple biblical reasons that justify divorce. He didn't have one of them. 
In his own words, he said this to me. James, uh, my wife and I, we've simply grown apart. And here was the kicker. He said this. James, I've prayed about it, and I feel at peace with this decision. Uh, over my time in ministry, I've gotten to counsel a lot of couples who, uh, who are great couples, really smart people, well-meaning people, want to get married. Um, a lot of them claim to know Jesus, but they're sleeping together. And can I just say to you, look, I'm not condemning you if that's you in the room today. Uh, I'm a guy who did the same thing before I got married, so a lot of fingers pointing right back at me. But I'm just telling you, based on what the Word of God teaches, here's what we know about sex. That God created it, it's a beautiful gift, and he's given it to husbands and wives. And it's supposed to be used in marriage and in marriage alone. And it's supposed to be used in marriage to deepen the relationship of a husband and wife, not only physically, but also spiritually and emotionally. And it's been crazy. Over the years, I've counseled couples. I've had a few of them say this to me. Well, well, James, we're sleeping together, but we love each other. I know we're not married yet, but, but look, we're comfortable with what it is we're doing. All right, I, I need to say something hard to you as your pastor. But please hear me. I'm saying it because I love you and I want what's best. All right, look. It does not matter if you are at peace with a certain decision you are making in your life. The only thing that matters is whether or not God is at peace with it. That's all that matters. And what you can't do is take some sense of peace that you feel to mean that God is giving his approval over whatever it is you're doing. I mean, let's not forget why God gave us the scriptures, his commands. He didn't give us this book to steal from us, to rob from us, to limit our joy or freedom. No, instead he gave it to us for the exact opposite reasons. He gave us his commands to keep us from the very things that would destroy or derail our lives so that we could walk in joy and in freedom. And can I just tell you, if you feel at peace over something in your life that contradicts what God has said in this book, he is not the one who's given you that peace. He's not going to give you peace to do something that stands in contradiction to the life he has for you. And he's not going to help you to remain comfortable in sin that wants to devastate your life. He's not the one that's spoken to you about whatever it is you're doing. Look at me. You adjust your conscience. You decide what values and morals to hold to, which is why it's so important for you to guard your heart, not to follow it. Now, I'll tell you before we move on what our consciences are actually good for, okay? Our conscience can serve as an excellent red light. They can serve as an excellent yellow light. But as I've already been teaching, horrible green light. And here's what I mean. At times when you're facing decisions in life, uh, your conscience will kick into red light mode and slap the warning on in front of you. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Stop, 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 stop. It'll tell you to slam the brakes on. At times, uh, it'll be the yellow light. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Before you do this, you need to really proceed with caution. Pray about it, investigate more, talk to somebody, read the Bible. Um, if you're gonna do this, here's some things to think about. But look, horrible green light. Can I just tell you that at times, uh, you'll face a decision that will be both dumb, devastating, God dishonoring, and your conscience the whole time will be screaming at you, press the gas, go, 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 go. And it's in those moments we have to make a decision. Am I gonna let my conscience be my God and, and give in? Or am I gonna remember what James taught? That I don't need to just go, I don't need to let my conscience be my guide, I don't need to just follow my heart because, because that's really dumb. Instead, what I need to do is, is do the smart thing. And, and what's the smart thing? What's the smart thing to do? Well, let me show you. You ready? If you're taking notes, write this down. Now that we know how dumb it is to follow our conscience or, or to follow our hearts, here's what the smart thing is. You let what God says be your guide. You let what God says be your guide. Now, how do we do that? Well, over the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about four ways that God speaks to us. 
And I truly believe that if you know how God speaks, you can learn to recognize God's voice. And, and when you know God's voice, well, what he says can then be your guide. So if you're taking notes, write this stuff down. How does God speak? Here it is. Through the Bible, through others, through circumstances. And this is a really churchy phrase, but I'm using it anyway. Through a still, small voice. And we'll walk through these. All right, first, God speaks through the Bible. Can I just tell you that this is the primary way that God speaks to us today? If you want to know what God has to say about anything in life, pick this book up and read it. This is how he speaks to us. And I want you to know that if, if you believe God is speaking to you through one of these other means that we're going to uh, talk through in a moment, you need to go back and test it against what he's already said. And if it contradicts what's here, look, God's not the one speaking to you. Again, he, he's not going to contradict what he's already said, and he's not going to give you peace over something that he's already prohibited. The next thing, God will speak to us at times through other people. But, but look, this is what's important for you to know. He doesn't just speak to us through any type of other people, right? He speaks to us through other godly people. People who love Jesus, who are following him, who love this book, and who are striving to obey God in all that he's called them to. Here's why that's important for you to know. Because oftentimes when we want to follow our hearts, think about what it is we do. We go and we find out those people who are going to agree with us, and those are the people we talk to, right? Hey, bro, I need to meet. Let me tell you about what I'm doing. And you know that they're going to pull their chair up at the table and say to you, do it. Follow your heart. Let your conscience be your God, man. Do what you believe is best. It's rare for us when we want to follow our hearts to go, I'm going to call that person that's going to argue with me. I'm going to schedule a meeting with that person who loves Jesus more than they love me and is willing to, in love, tell me how dumb I'm being right now in order to save me from making a really bad decision. But can I tell you, if you want to hear God speak to you through other people, those are the kind of people you need to be talking to. The godly others who are going to offer you biblical God-honoring advice no matter what. I remember a moment in my life in which God used a guy to, to speak clearly to me. This one probably sticks out more than a lot of others, and uh, it had to do with me becoming the pastor of this church. If you've been around a while, you know this. I'm not saying anything new, but when this opportunity presented itself to me, when I was asked to become the pastor of this church, my initial reaction was, heck no. I'm just being honest, right? This was not on my radar, not something I wanted to do. Uh, during that season of the church's life, it was in a very wounded place, and all I could think about was why in the world would any guy in his right mind want to go and pastor a church that's in the place that church is in? But I said the spiritual thing to the guys that asked me, I'll pray about it, Ryan, I'll pray about it. I didn't want them to think badly of me. So I took a couple weeks and I prayed about it. And as I prayed about it, um, what I thought wasn't going to happen started happening. God started messing with my heart. He started bending my heart toward this broken, wounded church. And I'll never forget the day before I was supposed to give an answer, say yes or no, I met with one of the godliest men I know, La Perea. Man, Jesus' conversations happen over good Mexican food, don't they? Come on, that'll preach all day. But I met with him over La Perea, shared my heart, all that I was feeling, my fears, my concerns. And he spoke truth into my life that day that confirmed for me that I had to say yes to this opportunity. And I'm so glad that I did. And i got to be honest, I, I think all the time, I truly believe that God spoke to me through him. And he'll do that at times for us. He'll speak through others. Uh, third, God will speak through our circumstances at times. Uh, he'll allow us to face circumstances or experiences that reveal to us who he is, who we are, uh, how much we need him. And sometimes those experiences are good and they're positive. Sometimes they're really hard and they're really painful. Like I, I still remember to this day... 
uh, God speaking to me about his power and his faithfulness during one of the hardest seasons of my life. I'll never forget it. God will also use circumstances to speak to us using open doors and closed doors. He might open a door or close a door for us in order to reveal to us a direction we need to go or a decision we need to make. And then lastly, he'll at times speak to us through a still small voice. Here's the idea. Uh, You've been praying about something. You need an answer. And you're just unclear. It's fuzzy. And you're beating down the doors of heaven. God, answer, God, answer. God, talk to me. God, what do I need to do? And then you hear him speak. He speaks in this whisper directly to you through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. God speaks in that way at times. Now, here's what you have to know. Circumstances and that still small voice, those are oftentimes, most oftentimes, the least reliable way to hear from God. Can I tell you why? A few reasons. One, um, first off, our experiences can lie to us. They can lie to us about who God is, what he wants, about who we are and what we want. Uh, also, when it comes to circumstances, you and I, we can open doors that God has closed and we can close doors that God's trying to open, can't we? Out of sheer stubbornness, pride, or fear, we can try to make certain things happen that don't need to happen while assuming the whole time God was in it when he wasn't in it, right? I think we've all done that before. And then lastly, when it comes to that still small voice, let's just be honest. At times, we might just be talking to ourselves. You ever felt like that? Is this just me? Or is God really speaking to me? Or worse, worse, your enemy, Satan, he can be the one speaking as well. You see, you have to know that the voice of God is not the only voice at play in your life, which is why it's so important to know this book, which is why it's so important for you to spend time around godly people who are willing to speak truth in your life. Look, if you believe that God is speaking to you through circumstances or that still small voice, take it back to the scriptures, meet with a godly person and ask what they think, and if what you're feeling contradicts the word of God or godly counsel, look, God's not the one speaking. He's not the one talking to you. Just a few weeks ago, uh, my wife and I, we celebrated 10 years of marriage. It's awesome. I appreciate the half clap, right? Thank you. I, I didn't feel the love at first, but I feel the love now. So 10 years of marriage, uh, it's, been, uh, it's been an insane 10 years. It's gone by quickly. Uh, a lot of highs, a lot of lows, more highs than lows, but I thank God for my wife all the time. And uh, I still love sharing the story of how we met. My wife and I, we met in the sixth grade at East Paulding Middle School. We grew up together, went to church together, school together. We were great friends all throughout life. And uh, we never dated until our senior year of college, which is really good because I'd have messed the whole thing up. But I remember us being home from school one weekend, college, and, and I passed her. I drove past her on the road. And so I wave at her, and she waves at me. And all I can think of that moment was, Dang, she is still fine as ever. And so I decided to go home and to try to remember her phone number. And I have a weird brain, right? I can see numbers like one time and remember them for the rest of my life. And in this instance, it really played in my favor. I got a wife out of it. So I go home and dialed her number, and it was right. And so we started talking. And, and I'll never forget it. When we first started talking on the phone, we do that thing we all do uh, when we're first kind of talking to someone on the phone. Hey, Amber, this is James. Or if she called me, she'd say the same. Hey, James, this is Amber, but because we were talking on the phone every day, we stopped doing that before long. You see, we started to learn each other's voices, and we didn't feel the need any longer to identify ourselves before we started talking. Can I just tell you that the same thing is true when it comes to the voice of God? Look, the more you come to church, the more you pray, the more you spend time with godly people, uh, the more you read this book and you sit under its teaching, 
the more you start to learn and recognize the voice of God, and the more it becomes clear when he's speaking to you and when he's not. Look, don't let your conscience be your guide. That's dumb. Don't follow your heart. That's dumb. Learn the voice of God and let what he says be your guide. That's the smart thing to do. Will you pray with me? God, I just want to thank you today, God, that you have, you have not left us guessing when it comes to life. You have not left us guessing as to how to make decisions that, that lead to greater joy, to greater freedom, uh, to the life that you have for us. God, you've made it clear. You've spoken. You've given us your word so that we can know exactly how to make wise decisions that are going to honor you and be best for us. God, I want to pray for all of us in the room today that that may be living right now with our conscience as our guide, that might be getting out of bed every day and, and just following our hearts. God, would you meet us in grace and love today right where we are? Would you show us the error of our ways? Would you restore us? And would you help us to know your voice and to instead, God, let what you say be our guide? God, we love you. We thank you for your great love for us. And again, we thank you, God, for being so gracious and so merciful. God, that you would make the way clear to us on how to know you more, how to be more like you. God, in the next few moments, as we just respond to you and to what we heard, God, would you just move in this place, work in our hearts, work in our lives, and we trust you for that. We pray.